This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 67, with me, your host, Alex Fitton. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and on Instagram at The Adoptive Mom. You can also find the podcast on Facebook at The Adoptive Mom Podcast. If you are hearing um, a little tickle in my throat, there's a reason for that. Um, in the words of Martin Short from Father of the Bride 2, look who's back from the dead. I was hardcore sick last week think like Cameron Fry levels of dramatics. Um, I had been thinking that I had, hadn't been sick in a while and we all know how jinxes work. So I totally did this to myself, but I'm back and the tickle is still there. It's going to be there for a while. Sorry guys. Um, but what a way to come back. You guys, today we are getting to chat with an Olympic gold medalist, beating what many said were impossible odds in one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history. Laura, starting in eighth place and with a broken foot, came from the behind to win the 2000 Olympic platform gold medal. Laura has also won the 2004 World Cup and the 2005 World Championships, becoming the first woman in history to win all three coveted world titles in platform diving. Along the way, she has won 19 U.S. national titles. She's been voted by the American public, the 2000 U.S. Olympic Spirit Award winner, and was nominated for an ESPY Award. Laura has also been inducted into five different Hall of Fames, including the International Swimming Hall of Fame. She attended the 2004 and 2016 Olympic Games as a reporter and analyst. And in 2017, following a nine-year retirement, she returned to competition. She is currently training full-time with her eyes set firmly on the fourth Olympic Games, her fourth Olympic Games in Tokyo 2020. So 2019 has brought a few new endeavors to the forefront for her. Laura is hosting the Hope Sports Podcast, where she speaks with elite and professional athletes each week about purpose beyond performance. Also, she's created an online course specifically for competitive athletes called The Confident Competitor to help eliminate performance anxiety and help athletes approach competitions with confidence. She is also the wife of, to Eric Holzman, and she is the mommy to four amazing children by birth and adoption. Um, if that's not an intro, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but before we go talk to Laura, I want to remind you guys about the Patreon community. If you're not in this club, you're missing out on premium content, y'all. Starting at just $5 a month, you're getting a second weekly show where we deep dive on topics and expand on things we go through as the adoption community. And you're getting a five-day Bible study guide to go along with the week's episodes. The higher tiers include free gifts as well. So miss out no longer, friends. Head to the Adoptive Mom Podcast slash community, adoptedmompodcast.com slash community, excuse me, and hit that Patreon button to get started and join the inner circle. Um, on that note, I want to thank the executive producer for this episode, Brittany Taylor. Your contributions to AMP made this episode and many others possible. So thanks, Brittany. Um, all right, guys, let's jump in. Welcome. 
Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and I'm super excited about my guest. Um, she's like really, she's like kind of a big deal, and I say that because she has like gold medals. That's a really big deal. So with all that said, I mean, am I making you nervous? I'm sure now I'm like setting this huge bar, but welcome to the show, Laura. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I mean, okay, here's the deal, and I say all that because that is something that so few people can relate with. You're like, there are so many people that you're like, yeah, I've done that before. Like, I can relate this story to that. But like, no one else is like, yes, I also have gold medals. (laughs) And don't forget the Wheaties box. There is a Wheaties box, too. That's true. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. So, yeah, with all that said, why don't you just take a second and tell us about yourself, who you are, and introduce us to your family. Uh, My name is Laura Wilkinson. I'm probably best known for being an Olympic gold medalist in platform diving. Uh, Been to three Olympic Games, um, been inducted into a bunch of Hall of Fames, had a blast. Now I'm a mom of four and I'm actually back in training for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Okay, no, I didn't know that. That's amazing. (laughs) Surprise! That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you have four kids. How many of them are bio and how many are adopted? Uh, two bio, two adopted. Okay, us too. That's the that's oh, the way nice. to do it. You like you get your two out of the way, and you're like, okay, now we can do the other two. That's awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so did you? What was your first Olympic game? Two thousand. Two thousand. Okay, mm-hmm. that's so. So I'm guessing you know all your children adoptions happened after that, right? So what made you want to adopt, and where did that fit in with your um, Olympic? training and everything. So yeah, just tell us your adoption story and how that fit in with your professional story. Well, so my third Olympic games was in 2008 and I retired. Um, I mean, I was 30 and I was already like twice the age of most of my competitors. So I was considered like the old lady, but I didn't retire because I felt older. I didn't want to do it. I retired because I wanted to be a mom and I was just ready at 30 years old. I'd been married for, you know, seven, six or seven years at that point. I was just ready to, to move on with that part of my life. And I thought, okay, I'm fit. I'm healthy. This is going to be easy. And you know, we couldn't get pregnant. And so that was kind of a struggle in the beginning, but my brother was actually adopted. So for me, adoption was like not a big deal. Like that was a totally normal thing. I can't imagine my life without my brother. And so I thought, well, if I can't get pregnant, I mean, that stinks. I'd like to be pregnant. That'd be really cool. But I want to adopt. I don't care how I get my babies. <laughs> I just want babies. And IVF like didn't appeal to me because like I said, I just had the history of, of adoption. And I had several friends who were successful with IVF. But to me, I was like, well, if I'm going to spend the money, like I want to go ahead and know that I'm going to have a kid. It was more this very selfish, like I want to ensure I'm going to be a mom. <laughs> and yeah. So, that's kind of the route I wanted to take, but my husband was like, whoa, I'm not cool with adoption. I don't know anything about adoption. That's so foreign to me. Like, let's have our quote own kids first and then maybe we'll talk about it. But I'm over here going, we're not having our own kids. Like this isn't happening. You know, I, I don't know what else to do. And this sounds like a great plan to me. And he was just not on board at all. And so um, there was a, a period of time where I thought, okay, well now I've retired from the one thing I love doing. And the only other thing that I want to be a mom I may not be able to be. And it was a really tough struggle. And um, I, I kind of went through a whole summer of grieving. I just remember thinking like, God, how can this be your plan for my life? Like the only other thing I've wanted to do is to be a mom. And now you're telling me maybe that's not what you want from me. And I, I wasn't okay with that if that wasn't his plan for my life, which meant I wasn't okay with him or his plan for me, that he wasn't enough. And I, I really struggled with that and kind of grieved through that. And he kind of kept me stuck in like, um, second Corinthians 12, like, you know, when Paul talks about getting the thorn removed, um, you know, he's like pleading with God, like, please remove this thorn. And God says, but my grace is sufficient for you. My powers Mm. may perfect and weakness. And I was like, 
no, I'm not okay with that. Like I got stuck there. Like it's not sufficient. This is not okay. It's not my plan. It's not what I want. And if you don't want me to be a mom, I don't want your plan. And I really struggle with that. And I realized that, okay, I have an issue because he has to be enough for me and he's not right now. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was awesome and hard all at the same time, but stuck in this dark place of like grieving and walking through that and, and saying, God, I want you to be enough for me. If this is your plan, like you have to be enough and then kind of working my way through that. And the beautiful thing is, is I'm getting to a place where I'm trusting him with whatever the plan is. And he's becoming enough for me. Like I'm relearning what he's done and that he is enough, no matter if I get what I want or not, you know, he is already enough. Um, my husband has this total heart change, uh, because of a very random thing that happened at church. He'd been praying for God to like kind of hit him over the head with a sign because he just was not okay with adoption. And we walked into church one day and our, choir director out of nowhere stands up and starts telling his adoption story and how he was adopted as an infant and all this stuff. And it was the best thing ever. And my husband walks out. He's white as a ghost. I have no idea what's been going on in his brain. I'm like, are you going to be sick? Are you okay? And he just goes, I think we need to adopt. And it was just this awesome thing. So we had all the hard conversations. What if our kids don't look like us? What does this look like? How do we do it? And for our, I think it was our seventh wedding anniversary or eighth wedding anniversary, we signed our adoption papers to um, get a little baby from China. And that was kind of the beginning of our journey. And so it was kind of crazy, but awesome. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, you guys just barely made that cutoff because China, you have to be 30, right? You have to be married for a certain amount of time. And so you guys like just barely made those, uh, you know, those qualifications. So how long did it take from signing the papers to, you know, she was in your arms? It's a she, right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, well, about three years into it. And well, and, and that was the thing too, is I was like, yes, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to be a mom in three years. Or yeah. whatever. <laughs> but as we were like waiting that three years was going to four years and five years and like it was getting longer and longer. Mm. And so, um, the next year we randomly actually got pregnant, a surprise pregnancy with my oldest and we had her. And when she was almost a year old, we thought, well, if these are the only two kids we're going to have. And this adoption is looking like it's now going to take six plus years let's just go special needs. Let's see if we can do that and see if we can bring her home faster because we wanted them to be close together. And, um, that was a really scary thing. Cause you're like, well, if God gives me a kid with a special need, like he's going to equip me to handle it. Right. But if I'm picking it, what if I pick wrong? <laughs> I was so scared to like choose wrong or not listen well or something. But we had this great, um, pediatrician who was also an adoptive mom and she kind of helped us walk through what all the special needs were, what we could probably handle and what we couldn't. And and that was really helpful, but still terrifying. Um, but we actually got matched within that first month and, um, we ended up there three months after that, picking her up, which went so much faster than we thought. And so our girls, our girls only six months and a day apart. And that's been crazy and awesome all at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So you have, you have the pseudo twins. So many adoptive families have the pseudo twins, including us. I love those stories. It's so fun because you get to see that nature versus nurture bond and you're like, man, twinship does not have to be biology. And I love it. It's so fun. Um, okay. So then after that, you know, you have two more, how did all that happen? Well, so probably about six months after we brought Zoe home from China. Um, so I guess Arela had just turned what was Arela two and yeah, Zoe was like a year and a half and we we're like, Oh my goodness, this is like the best thing ever. Like we want we want more kids. We want to adopt again. And so we started the process for Ethiopia, um, because that was 
something when we knew the wait was long with China, we were actually already looking at Ethiopia because you can do the concurrent adoptions, but then we had the surprise pregnancy. So we stopped that. So we kind of went back and started the Ethiopia adoption. And three days after that, we found out I was pregnant with my son. And so we're like, okay, we're going to have four kids. How about that? But, um, but her, her adoption took five years and that was insane. And the prime minister shut down, um, international adoption partway through. And like, so there was a lot of ups and downs to her adoption as well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a crazy roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah, no, I interviewed another Ethiopian mom for the podcast and she is, she has, it's closed right now currently as we were recording this and she has like four kids in Ethiopia waiting for it to open up again for them to be able to adopt them. Uh It's, it seems like it closes a lot, just kind of back and forth, but man, what, what did that do to you just in that wait? Uh, it was really hard. Um, I mean, having, having another kid, I mean, having, I ended up with three kids under three, so that was a nice distraction. It kind of kept me busy, but I mean, the cool thing is we have been talking about her since they were so little. They don't remember us ever not talking about her, you know? Mm -hmm. So she's always, I remember Zoe at like two and three years old would draw boats with a little stick figure and tell me that that's Dakaya and we're bringing her home or she's coming home to us across the ocean. And, you know, I mean, the kids have always had this concept and understood that she's there, um, which has been kind of cool cool. But after we were matched with her, it was about probably nine months after we were matched with her, we had her picture, we knew who she was and where she was. That's when the prime minister closed um, all the adoptions. And so that was like a really scary time. And a bunch of the parents, like we kind of had everybody that we knew, like calling on the Senate and Congress. And um, they had a very strongly worded letter to the prime minister. And he then reopened it to those of us who were matched that we could at least complete our adoptions, but that they would not open it back up for new families or for families who were just waiting to get matched. And so we had like just made the court cutoff, like getting our file numbers and all that in time. Um, cause I think you could be technically matched, but if you didn't get your court numbers, you may not have been able to go through. So it was kind of crazy and scary, but with all that, our agency got shut down. We had to come up with money to switch agencies. Um, our orphanage director was a big problem. We ended up getting blackmailed. Like then our case got stuck. We had to go over there to try to get our case unstuck. Um, then we met our daughter. We got to spend five days with her. Then we had to come home without her. And that was devastating. Um, I think I was like clinically depressed for a little while there. And but then eight weeks later, we went over again without a court date. Um, but we got our court date as we were getting on the plane from Germany to Ethiopia. We knew we were going to have a court date the next day. And it was kind of this, again, kind of crazy time. But um, we, we had to get her because we were also moving. And if we moved, we were going to have to redo all our home study, which would prolong it another several months. And so we were like, no, we're, we're going and we're getting her. And uh, we were able to bring her home. And we moved three days later on Easter Sunday. <laughs> it was just. It has been a wild ride. I'm not kidding. I'm just sugarcoating it here too. I'm giving you the easy version. <laughs> well, I mean, I can only imagine. I know international adoption is just such a roller coaster of like of feelings and emotions and moods and just uh, I can't and, and faith struggles. Like I've talked to so many moms who that's been the biggest struggle in their walk with God is just these these hurdles that you jump through through adoption. Um, so one more time, can you roll through your ages right now? So my oldest is eight. My bio is eight. And then um, Zoe from China is seven and a half or seven and three quarters. Excuse me. She corrected me today. Um, Zadik, another bio is five and a half. And then Dakaya will be four next month. She's my Ethiopian baby. Good grief. They're all so close together. I I mean, I I bet that's like really hard, but really fun. (laughs) Yes. Well, well said. (laughs) All of the above. I know that. I mean, we have three within 16 months of each other and it's, uh, it's, it's that it's like chaos it's fun. I love that they're friends, but also I'm like, you're going to kill me someday with stress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask, okay, so it's very interesting hearing you um, talk about such a such an interesting hurdle that you um, you got, you didn't think you'd be able to have kids and then you got pregnant during your adoption and with your husband having been so hesitant at first and then he had such a big turnout on, that must have been such a big, like, just knock you over the head turnaround for him to, to be like, okay, you're pregnant, but we're still going to do this adoption thing that I didn't even want to do in the first place. Uh, talk to me about that because that seems really cool. Well, I think because once we decided we were going to do it, I mean, we had all the hard talks. Like I said, like we talked about what if our kids don't look like us? What if they come from another place? Like what if we don't know anything about their medical history or their background? Like what, you know, what does that look like for us? And can we handle all of these things? And, um, you know, so we talked about all that. And once we signed the papers and started moving forward, like we knew from China that it would likely be a girl because we were initially at least going for a healthy child. And so we went ahead and named her because we wanted a name that we could pray for. And so we named her Zoe, you know, which is, uh, basically from the Greek Zoe, like, which means life, like a, a eternal life with Christ. And, um, that was, we just, we prayed for her and we just continued to pray for her. And we felt like we knew her and we would talk about her. And when you can call your kid by name, mm -hmm. it, it just becomes very real. And you understand that this is like a person, you know? And so I think it just, it just felt so real to us. When we got pregnant with our, our oldest, it was just like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have two kids now. Like it wasn't even, you know, this like, oh, well now we don't have to adopt. It was like, wow, we get two. Like it was just this great surprise. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. And he was totally in the same place. And I think it was because we had named her, we were talking about her, we were planning for her, we were prepping rooms, you know, we were doing all the things that any expectant parent would do. I love that. No. And that's so, that's so great. Cause I think that, like I said, there are so many people that would be like, oh, well we don't need to do that anymore. And I love that that is, that's not your story that you're saying, no, this is important too. Like both are the same, um, just different, which is what this podcast is all about. And I love that. Um, okay. So tell me what is your favorite and least favorite thing of having them all so close together now that everyone's home? Just like, um, yeah. craziest and best. <laughs> So least favorite would probably just be that I've got four people going, mommy, 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 like all at the same time trying to tell, like, this is us in the grocery store. I mean, we literally, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and we just ate lunch because we spent like an hour and a half in the grocery store because they were all trying to talk to me and tell me what they wanted at the same time. And mommy was going crazy. <laughs> so, yes. you know, that's, that's probably my least favorite is just, just draining when they all need something at the same time because they're still all kind of little. Um, but that, I mean, the best part is that they, they are so tight that they're just buddies. You know, they're all friends. They all, they, they, kind of partner off, but then they like switch partners, you know what I mean? And so it's really cool to see the different dynamics of when they kind of separate and like these two will go play Legos and these two are playing with puppies and then they switch and these two are outside swinging and these two are riding bikes. And so I love that. I love seeing the dynamic and how they act different with each other and, and how they really just, they care about each other and they're really protective of each other. I mean, all the time, my son, who's number three in the order, he's always like, wait, Where's Zoe? Where's Arela? Where's, you know, he's always concerned. Like he's always, he's like the sheepdog, you know, he's always trying to make sure they're all shepherded in the same place, you know, and it's, it's just really cool to watch. That's adorable. Um, and I was, I was going to ask actually, like, what is, he's the only boy, does he feel singled out? But it sounds like he just kind of dives right in with all of them. He's, he's pretty good. And my husband can commiserate because he has three sisters also. So <laughs> he, he understands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. So how did, how are they with the adoption thing? Do they, I mean, obviously they're very used to two of them looking different and from each other. Do they even notice that? Do they see that? Do they have questions? How do they, how do they treat the adoption thing? 
It's been really interesting because, I mean, Zoe and Dakaya have very different personalities. I mean, Dakaya's still little. She's not quite four yet. But Zoe started asking questions really young. But I think it was because I was pregnant with Zadik. And so she was like two and I had a baby in my belly, you know. And so she was asking a lot of questions about that, um, you know, and like, well, how come I don't? Because she would see pictures of Arela when she was in my tummy and baby, baby, baby pictures of her. And there were none of Zoe until she was about a year old. And so she just didn't understand that. And so we had to would have to explain to her, you know, you were, you were born in another mommy's tummy, but we got to China as fast as we could to bring you home. Like you were born in my heart. Like, cause, and, and we had that one time, I mean, they were like two and a half. And I remember Arela making some remark saying, well, I was born in mommy's tummy and you weren't like, it was totally one of those. And I was floored and I heard it. And I said, Zoe, come here. Cause she was kind of, she didn't look hurt. She just looked very confused. And I said, baby, you were born in my heart, not my tummy, you know? And she was just like, walked right over to her and told her that. And her was like, Oh, okay. So it was just kind of like, kind of cool to like arm her in a different way. But then we started explaining and we would pull out her very special photos from China. And, you know, like she may not have been a baby in the, all those pictures, but we had all of these special pictures of just us with her in China. And so that became like her baby book. And so then she kind of really took hold of that. But every once in a while, she just gets very sad and like solemn and just, just says she misses China or she doesn't understand why her mommy would give her up, you know, and it, but she always asks that the most it's out of nowhere. It'll be like from the back of the car when we're driving, you know, and it just, it's always like the hardest possible moment to discuss it but that's like when it just seems to hit her is she's just thinking and so that's you know kind of been tough to handle because I just you know it's all new to me too and and I'm just trying to walk her through it but Dakaya on the other hand is just like carefree and doesn't seem to know you know what's going on but I'm not actively pregnant right now so it's not anything she's really thinking about either you know right oh my goodness I can't I mean you're training for the Olympics if you were actively pregnant right now oh my gosh (laughs) <laughs> be hard to get into a tuck position. <laughs> Grab your knees. You would definitely win for like most interesting, right? That's the superlative <laughs> Olympic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so speaking of the Olympics, what do your kids think about your job? I don't really think they think too much about it. I mean, they've seen me dive, they've seen videos, they see all the awards. They I mean I don't think they think too much of it, but every once in a while, they'll, the girls will ask me if I'm famous. I said, why do you think I'm famous? Everybody knows who you are. And it's not everybody knows who I am. It's like their teacher might have heard of me or something. or So they, they think everybody in the world knows who I am. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of funny. But I'm like, no, we're, we're just divers. We really don't get famous, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, to them, you're just mom. But like, yeah, <laughs> you're like, other people think I'm really cool. And you just think I'm the person that wipes your butt. <laughs> Well, that's because that's who I am. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay. So do they go to training with you? Um, sometimes. Well, on this week, my husband's been out of town. He coaches swimming. And so he's been at a swim meet. I've had to drag them to all my, my weights and my physical therapy and my dry land workouts and stuff. So yeah, they get, they get dragged every once in a while. So do any of them want to follow in your footsteps? Well, my oldest has been diving for almost two years and she seems to love it, but she also wants to try some other things. So, you know, we'll see, but she, she does love that we do it together. And we've kind of, we've done a few things together, like synchronized at the same time, which has been just really special for mommy. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, sometimes she asks like how I do it and how I do these things, but 
you know, she's, she's not as impressed by me doing these really hard, big dives as she is. If I do what she's doing, like a, sh- a front jump straight with really good form. She thinks that is really impressive. <laughs> it's just on her level. It's what she understands, you know, that's really cool. So, and I, and that, you know, me- meshing those two things is what I'm really excited to talk to you about because you have, you have kind of a platform and I know that you do courses and that you, um, have other stuff that you, you're mainly talking about, you know, the competition or the sports side of things, but it obviously gives you a platform to talk about adoption. So how do you mesh those two things? What, how do those go together in your head? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's who I am. It's my life. You know what I mean? So they're all the things that I, I love and I'm passionate about. I mean, I definitely on social media, I talk about all of the things. Um, but I, I think there's good analogies. Like I love when I, when I go and I speak to groups, I love using sports as an analogy. You know, like I talk about the first time I ever jumped off the 10 meter and how terrifying that is. And it's, it's like taking a leap of faith in your life. You know, it's, you, you want to do these things, but it's scary. But, but on the 10 meter, you can't dip your toe into the water to see if it feels nice. Like you have to jump in with both feet. You have to really commit to it. And that's like a great analogy for life and how we need to commit to doing things, not just quote, trying to do them. You actually have to jump in and do it. Um, but now I found myself actually the other day in my, my course confident competitor, I was talking to these athletes and I was making a comparison from parenting and how there was a struggle in this certain parenting arena and how that played over in sports as well. And so it's, it's kind of cool that it all really does work together. Um, I mean, that's how we learn best, right? Through analogies and through stories. And, um, so it does all kind of go together (laughs) in a weird way. Yeah. And I love that. And I love that, you know, you use, especially your Instagram. Um, that's where I follow you most heavily, but that's, you know, you're, you're talking about both so much together. And I love that you since you do have a bit a bit more of a platform than most people being able to showcase like, this is my life, this is adoption, this is normal, this is awesome. And um, have you have you had a lot of people reach out to you asking about adoption because of your platform? Um, I've definitely, yeah, definitely had a few reach out and ask some questions. Um, and a lot of people are just say, I have, you know, so-and-so's have been adopted in my life. And so I think that's really cool. You know, I can relate to that. And so it's, it's mostly really positive stuff. Yeah. That I hear back from. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And that's one of my favorite things too, when people ask me and, and I, and when people choose to adopt because of, you know, my story or someone else's story that, um, you know, around me, I just love that. I love how we can influence each other in that way and, and showcase that this is, you know, this isn't adoption back in, I don't know, the seventies where you did it and you didn't talk about it. And it was just kind of like, you you know, right. I love that we're normalizing things like that now. Um, and that, it, what were you saying? I said, I agree. Totally agree. That's awesome. That's really cool. So will your kids go to Tokyo? Well, if I go to Tokyo, <laughs> I'd be in Tokyo. My mom's so funny because she's like, do I have to travel to watch you anymore? She goes, I'm just going to stay home and watch the kids. I said, no, if I'm going to Tokyo, the kids are going with me. So if you want to watch the kids, you have to go. So, I mean, the plan would be that everybody would go. I mean, I can't imagine not having them there. Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't be life for me. You know what I mean? I can't imagine that. Yeah. Do a lot of Olympians bring their kids? I don't think a lot of Olympians have kids. I mean, it's starting to become a little more, but, um, I mean, your family goes, you know what I mean? Your family is the the main people that you want there cheering you on. So I would hope most of the kids would be there. Absolutely. So in, um, I feel like I'm like rapid fire questioning. I just have so many questions, Laura. That's okay. (laughs) I have answers. (laughs) Yeah. So is the reason you decided on international adoption? Is that because of your traveling through the Olympics? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we kind of were looking at a lot of different things. Um, my brother was a domestic adoption, um, but it was it was back in the 70s, and it was a little bit different of a situation. But we, we'd had a lot of friends do foster care. We'd, we'd kind of seen a lot of different things. And I, my coach had adopted from China. My college coach had adopted from China. And so I remember he had just brought her home like my freshman year. And I think that was just I think it was just really kind of something that stuck with me. And I'd been to China so many times. And honestly, I did not like China the first couple of times I went. But then we had some friends that, that moved there and lived there and they explained the culture to me. And then the next few times I went, I liked it so much better because I understood and things didn't bother me the same way they used to. And um, we kind of fell in love with it. And so, and since my coach had such a good process, that was like the first place I wanted to go. And my husband agreed. He goes, it just feels right. It just feels right. So that's kind of where we started there. This episode of the Adopted Mom Podcast is brought to you by Smiles Are Wild, a branch of Pediatric Dental Associates and Orthodontics. Smiles Are Wild is a podcast and a blog dedicated to partnering with parents on not just dental hygiene, but also on keeping our kids from hard places healthy in every aspect of life. One of my favorite recent blog posts of theirs was on partnering with your child's teacher to ensure our kids have the best opportunities possible. Amy Morgan talks about all kinds of ways to make appointments, travel, school breaks, and everything else more survivable for parents of kids from hard places. You guys, that's us. Check them out at smilesarewild.com slash blog and hear the Smiles Are Wild podcast wherever you like to listen. The Adoptive Mom Podcast is brought to you by Alpha Lit Letters. I'm guessing you need a little something extra to take your event to the next level. And look no further, because Alpha Lit has you covered. Their marquee letters add that amazing finishing touch to any party or event. I used them for my launch party a few weeks ago, and I'm telling y'all, they made all the difference. You can go see how I use them on my Instagram at The Adoptive Mom, and you can find a location near you. And you guys, they're opening new locations constantly at alphalitletters.com. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? Uh, honestly, I, I think we were good. I, I think sometimes you just have to figure things out along the way. And we had, we had a lot of great, um, role models, parenting role models in our lives. And I think that was very helpful. Um, but I think there's just some things you have to learn on the way. And so I, I, if I had known any more, we may have run the other direction. So I think it, it was perfect just the way it was. That's awesome. Well, and my next question is always, what do you wish you had done differently? And I guess that's really post-adoption, but it sounds like you are pretty happy with how things went. Or do you have something that you wish you had done differently? Well, I mean, you always wish you didn't make some mistakes parenting. Like, you know, Zoe had some issues when we first came home and like we didn't always know the best way to handle them. And so, I mean, I think there's a few times we just got really frustrated and probably didn't handle it well. But I don't know that we really would have done anything different, but I think we were just frustrated in our minds, you know what I mean? And like not thinking it through right. But I don't know that we would have physically or verbally done anything different. Um, But we were just, we got very frustrated very easily. And um, I don't, I don't think we would have going back now as an experienced parent. I don't think I'd get as frustrated, you know? Yeah. I mean, that attachment (laughs) stuff is really hard. And I I hear so many international adoptive moms just talking about um, how different attachment can be depending on ages and situations and countries that you adopt from. And so were your, how old were each of your girls when you adopted them? Well, so Zoe was one, she was right at one and Dakai was two and a half. But at the same time, I was a pretty new parent when we brought Zoe home because our other daughter was only 18 months old. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of experience. You know what I mean? Like now it's totally different. You give me a baby. I know exactly what to do. And it's not, it doesn't stress me out like it used to. <laughs> it used to really stress me out. So I, I think just, that's just parenting. That's just learning parenting too, you know? Yeah. Did you have to do the cocooning thing with both of them or was Zoe too young to really need that? 
Well, I mean, we didn't have any attachment issues, so it wasn't too big of a deal. Like, so, I mean, Zoe was so little and she, I mean, she was very much attached to mommy. Like I was the one she always wanted to be with, but she was pretty comfortable around people and she wasn't having a problem like holding everyone's hand and doing that. Like she was always coming back to me. So we weren't too concerned about it. I mean, when you're in China, like everybody comes up to you. Everybody wants to touch your baby, talk to your baby, yell at you for not clothing your baby correctly. Like, so it's not like she wasn't around people all the time. You know what I mean? So definitely at home, it was just us, but, um, it was kind of fine taking her out. And if she ever got, you know, too exhausted, we would just move in. But with Dakaya, we brought her home and it was a little bit different. She wouldn't go to anyone else for about two months. Um, she was terrified of men. She was terrified of animals. Um, she didn't want her feet to touch the ground for a long time because we have a very tiny 15 year old Shih Tzu who lays there. <laughs> so she didn't want anything to do with him. So it was, um, it was a little tough the first two months, but I would just hold her, I would put her in the little carrier and just walk her around. And I did that a lot with Zoe too. And that was really, I think the best thing we could do is just put them on you. And then even if they're upset, at least they're on you and they're getting what they need and they, they know they're safe. And I think that helped a lot both times. So I, I love my ergo to, to my deathbed. Like that was probably my favorite parenting tool, especially with two ad adoptive kids. So, and at two and a half, like Takaya was not too old for that thing. Like she needed that. And it was super helpful for yeah, her. And that's great advice. Cause I think that so many, um, especially cocooning can seem so daunting to people because you're like, like literally everything I have to do. And, and, you know, just little hacks or helpful tips like that are great. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, invest in a baby carrier. Well, and the the problem too, and this is just kids in general, probably also, but like as Dakaya finally got more comfortable and we're like introducing her to our friends, it's okay. This is mommy's friend. You can say hi to them. Then all of a sudden she's running up to complete strangers. We don't know at like the pool and hugging people. And we're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Now you've swung the other direction. Like, Oh my, yeah. So it was like from one extreme to the other. And then we're like, okay, well now we need to teach her stranger danger. <laughs> we're trying to get her to like people. Now we're trying to get her to not like people. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it took, it probably took a good four or five months to kind of get that balanced out a little bit. I feel like, yeah. Oh my God. I have one of those too. And he, he knows no personal space boundaries and I'm constantly like, I'm just, I'm sorry. He's going to hug you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. He's yeah. very loving. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, anyway. Um, okay. My, my next two questions, they kind of go together. So I'll ask them together. I was asked what, what is the best and worst way that your tribe supported you through your adoptions? Um, well, I mean, the best way was like when people just brought meals and just like didn't really ask, just brought stuff over or just said, hey, I can watch the other two if you guys need to go out or if, you, you know, I mean, they were just kind of there when we needed them. Um, I mean, I don't know if there was like a worst way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, our when we when we brought Dakaya home too, I mean, I have to tell you this, our house church, we moved on Easter Sunday, two and a half days after we had brought her home. We didn't even like pack our house, like our house church, like our small group community pretty much helped us pack our house and move all our stuff like on Easter Sunday. Like they just bailed with their family plans and helped us. Like it was absolutely amazing. And I will never forget that. When we first brought Zoe home. It was a different group. I mean, some of the people were still the same, but it was a different group. It was just quite a few years ago, but we came home and they had all these gifts for the girls. Cause we were like, I don't know if they can be around. Like I, we might just need to be family. So they just brought all this stuff over to the house, all these gifts and they stocked our refrigerator full of food. And like, I mean, so it was just, yeah, we've been pretty spoiled with amazing community, I think. So I don't, I don't think there was a bad thing that anybody did, you know? Um, we just, yeah, we were very fortunate to have a great church and small group community. I love that. And I always ask what is the worst way? Because I feel like there's a lot of things, you know, questions people ask or assumptions that people make that can hurt adoptive families. Um, even if people do it out of love or out of trying to help. And, um, 
so yeah, I always ask that because I definitely want to give awareness to our support systems of what what really helps and what doesn't help so much. Um, okay, so if you could sum it all up into one piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive moms, what would you say? Just take a deep breath and let it out and um, just keep going. I mean, there's, there's definitely going to be hard days and hard seasons, but it will end. Like it will definitely end. Cause sometimes you're in that season and it's so hard for so long. You think this is my life now and it's never, ever going to change, but it will, it really is just a season. Like just keep praying your way through it. Keep like walking through scripture and, and let God direct you to that scripture. Even if you get stuck in it for like three months, that might be where you need to be. Like definitely if it's a time of lamenting, like go to Psalms and just dig into Psalms. Like that is to me that, that really helped us a lot through our last adoption. It was just like all that, like, God, do you hear me? Like, I'm crying out to you. Do you hear me? And then, and then it like morphs into this. I know you hear me. I know you hear me. Are you going to answer me? You know what I mean? And then it's, you finally, you've heard my cry. You're answering me, but no matter what, I can always trust you and your steadfast love and your faithfulness, like always the glory to you. And, um, I just think that that perspective and it's like, cause you, I don't know, Psalms just understands your heart. You know what I mean? It just, it's so like, the pain and anguish that your heart feels, but then it also continues to reinstill that hope that we have in our maker, you know, and the one who created this entire situation is going to walk us through this and he's going to be faithful to complete it and to see us to the end. I love that. And that's, that's totally ministering to my heart right now because with, you know, mine are all four and under and it's hard. It's so hard when you have people that just need you constantly and you do get in that rut where you're like, this is, this is my life now. Like, this is just what I do. And it's never going to change. Even though, you know, I mean, I've, lived a long enough to live through multiple seasons that did end. And yet I still am like, nope, but this one's going to be the one that never ends. Yeah. Being in the middle of the heart is the hardest part. But like, I mean, just think about like how diamonds are made, right? They don't just appear like they're, they're buried. It's a mineral, like an ugly mineral, probably buried deep underground under intense pressure for a very long period of time. But then it becomes this miraculous diamond, right? And that's like what God is doing with us when we're in these hard seasons. That is like the best time that he can work on us when we can continue to call on him and to praise him and to have joy. You don't have to be happy, but you can have joy because he is faithful in the middle of the hard. And that's when he really does his best work in you and creates a new you and makes you more like him. And you come out like this diamond in the end, even though it doesn't feel great. It feels like pressure. It feels hard. You feel ugly. It feels terrible when you're stuck in the bathroom for 50% of your day, wiping two kids bottoms while nursing another one. And you're like, this cannot be sanitary for my life, you know, but then you come out and you realize that God has changed all of you through that process. And it's awesome, you know? So yes, just, just keep trusting him. He's going to be faithful. Uh, seriously, just like amazing stuff. And I'm super appreciative of you for coming on the show and just giving us your wisdom. And it's always super cool to hear people that, um, that are doing, awesome, really neat things in multiple areas of their lives and how they how they mesh all that together. So it was really cool to learn that about you. And how where can people find you? Where can people follow your, you know, both of your amazing journeys? No, thank you. Um, I mean, my website's laurawilkinson.com. All my social channels are on there. You can click right on there. They're like on the top right hand corner. Um, and you know, I have my, my course confident competitor. You can get a hold of that on there as well. So kind of laurawilkinson.com is the hub. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. 
We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom podcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Okay. You ready for the, ra- uh, the rapid fire round, Laura? Definitely. Okay. If you had to marry a Disney villain, which one would you, which one would you marry? A Disney villain? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> oh, I can't even think of one. I'm only thinking of the good guys. <laughs> I, this is hard. That's a really hard question. I'll give you mine. Oh, I don't know. I feel like Kylo it would be Ren. Jafar. <laughs> Jafar. Oh, you want to marry Jafar? No, I mean, if I had no. to choose. It's like uh, the, between Jafar and Ursula, definitely Jafar. Mm, there you go. Or well, Star. Star Wars is technically Disney around there. So, you know, and maybe I'll go with Kylo Ren. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I got to meet him in real life one time. So, Seriously? you know, I feel like there's a connection. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is Does he, this is so off topic. He looks like he doesn't smell great. Does he smell okay? Adam Driver. He smells fine. Okay. He smelled fine. He is really tall, like really tall. Like I think like almost seven feet tall. Wow. Yeah, our picture, I'm like, I'm little. He's giant. Yes. Like he's looks awesome. <laughs> he just looks a little greasy. Like maybe he just needs a shower a lot of the time. So yeah, no, he, he smelled just fine. Okay. So. <laughs> that, the, the questions the listeners want to know. <laughs> of course. Okay. For your Harry Potter house, where do you think the sorting hat would put you and where would you want it to put you? Well, being that we have a sorting hat in our house and my daughter sorted us all on her birthday, I got sorted into Gryffindor along with the rest of the family because that's where we all belong. (laughs) So it was very accurate. Okay. So that's where you would want and where it would put you? Of course. Okay. Although my son wants to be Slytherin, but I'm not really sure what, that kind of scares me a little bit. (laughs) Just saying. My husband's a Slytherin. It's, I mean, oh man, it's, yeah. Where, where, I can make a mean magic wand, though. I got to tell you that, too. I can make a mean magic that wand. That should be your next course. Oh, yeah. It's easy. It takes about two seconds. <laughs> do you want me to tell you how to do it? Do you yes. want to make your own magic wand? I need to know. You just can try, get, get those little, um, like, wooden chopsticks. You can buy them on Amazon for, like, super cheap. And you just put hot glue around it. Like, you can design it any way you want. Once it dries, you just paint it. Use metallic colors because they show up really cool. Okay. And no. you have like the coolest magic ones. Yes. Yeah. Next craft project. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. Super easy. Um, okay. What was your, out of the three Olympics that you went to, what was your favorite opening ceremonies outfit? Oh, opening ceremonies outfit. The Ralph Lauren special, right? Well, I mean, probably 2004 because we were actually wearing like a skirt and short sleeves where the other two, we were in like, like suit jackets and pants and in Beijing, we were sweating through them. And I mean, it was like 95 degrees and like hundred percent humidity. And it was so, there were poor, like some of the basketball players were down on the ground, like jackets off. They had sweated through their jackets and it was so, it was so miserable. It was just hot. Um, so yeah, I think 2004, we were definitely the most comfortable. That's good. I can't believe they were- would do that in the like for the summer olympics i know i know but you know it's ralph lauren you gotta look good right oh yeah for sure did <laughs> were you in i forget which year the berets were like yeah. every year well no we were we wore kind of a goofy hat in sydney we wore a beret in 2004 and 2008 they're a little fancier in 2008 because that was ralph lauren but yes. yeah did you get to keep them do you have the outfits oh yeah definitely do you i wear them all them? the time <laughs> just kidding no <laughs> it's like your church outfit no. yeah it 
it looks great in a group and it looks a little awkward when you're wearing it by yourself. The, the jacket though, like the coat jacket, the suit jacket from, from Beijing is really nice though. I would wear that to like a fancy, like a business fancy kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. Well, that's all of my ridiculous questions. So thank you. <laughs> I like them. Those were good.